Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Full Stack Journey podcast, where we talk about the ongoing evolution of the IT professional and the journey of learning that stretches across the full stack of technologies in today's modern data center. We're so glad you're taking the opportunity to join us. Thank you for that. As always, my purpose here on the podcast is to get together with someone, uh, another IT professional and to share practical, usable, actionable, real-world information on various technologies, products, practices, again, stretching across the full stack of technologies that we find in today's data centers, both on-premises and in the, in the cloud. In this episode, I'm talking with Michael Keogh, and we're going to be talking about a topic um, that I'm extremely interested in, and that is Site Reliability Engineering, or SRE. Michael, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Why don't you take a minute and introduce yourself to the listeners? Hi, Scott. So my name is Michael Keogh. I'm a staff Site Reliability Engineer, or SRE, at LinkedIn. My focus is on a day-to-day basis, uh, working on workflow automation, monitoring automation, and incident management. Previously, um, I studied at the University of Queensland in Australia and uh, interned actually at NASA Ames out in uh, Silicon Valley working on the PhoneSat project. More importantly to this podcast, uh, while I was an undergrad, I actually worked at my university, the University of Queensland, as a network engineer, which really became the basis for me wanting to become an SRE and learning those skills. You can find me online at michael-keo.io. LinkedIn is Michael K. Keo, or Twitter, you can find me at at Matrix Tech, M-A-T-R-I-X-T-E-K. Cool. Thanks, Michael. I thought I picked up a little bit of uh, accent there, but I wasn't sure if it was British or Australian. I'm not really good at identifying uh, accents. Sorry about that. It's definitely Australian. (laughs) Obviously. Obviously. Well, great. And uh, the fact that you interned at NASA Ames, that's very cool as well. Yep. Definitely one of the best experiences I had as an undergraduate student. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Very good. So let's sort of just dive right into the topic, and that is, of course, around the idea of Site Reliability Engineering, or, or SRE, although I guess you wouldn't use the acronym in referring to the practice because you use the acronym both for the practice and for the role. So just if you would, give me and give the listeners sort of a, a high-level view of, of Site Reliability Engineering, um, and then maybe we can dive in a little deeper from there. All right. So the technical definition of Site Reliability Engineering is when a software engineer is tasked with what used to be called operations. And that comes from Ben Trainor-Sloss, the SVP of 24 by 7 operations at Google, who came up with the phrase SRE. The way I personally look at it is helping engineering and product teams deliver the best experience possible for the end user from an operations perspective. So more broadly speaking, it's about managing the needs of the business from a product and engineering standpoint and integrating that with the requirements of the infrastructure to ensure that you have all the pieces moving smoothly together. All right. So if I had to sort of distill that down, that's a a very detailed definition. Thank you. But if I had to distill that down, it sounds like um, this this first definition that came from Google um, is, you know, taking somebody who has a development or programming background and sort of tasking them with simplifying and automating what would normally fall into an automation or excuse me, an operations role. Does that sound you know, roughly like capturing it? Yes, sir. It, uh, to be fair, it does vary slightly company to company. So for Google, they will take people traditionally more from a software background, but it is totally common for other companies to go and take people from a more operations background 
and uh, get them to lean more towards the software engineering side. So it's, it's, it depends on company philosophy, but you're right in that software automation is a key part of the role. Okay. All right. So that, that makes sense. And I could certainly see where some organizations may take people who are coming more from a development background and pressing them into ops or, or other companies taking folks who are more coming from an ops background and pressing them into SRE, again, with the idea of saying we're going to apply sort of software development patterns and practices and tools to the idea of operations. Um, I'm curious, though, like if we had to, to sort of say out of the, the relatively vast collection of practices and tools that you might find in a software development environment, right? Are there certain subsets of tools that you find more common uh, in the site reliability engineering um, space than others? So particularly for SREs, uh, you'll see a higher focus on automation as a service or automation as a platform. You'll also see um, a lot more integration of monitoring systems. So uh, while SREs and engineers work together on monitoring, you'll find a lot of those conversations, a lot of those ideas will probably come from the SRE side of the organization. And monitoring uh, platforms will vary company to company. For hyperscalers such as ourselves at LinkedIn, we have our own monitoring platform. It is still very common for uh, smaller infrastructure houses to go and get third-party monitoring software. Okay. All right. That makes a lot of sense. So let's dig in a little bit. And and again, you know, one of the purposes of the podcast here is that I view IT and, and IT professionals as really being under a lot of pressure to evolve in ways that perhaps they weren't evolving in the past. And this idea of SRE, I think, really captures some of the trends and some of the pressures that I'm seeing in that I see folks who were traditionally infrastructure folks needing to embrace software development practices and tools. And that could be encapsulated as sort of infrastructure as code, uh, for example. But I also see development folks being asked to embrace certain awareness and understanding of infrastructure as they begin to deploy applications onto infrastructure or as they begin to maybe they're leveraging infrastructure as code in conjunction with some other teams to build out the infrastructure that will run their applications. And so I see these things that's, you know, to borrow a, a, an American phrase, you know, I see lots of peanut butter getting put in people's chocolate and vice versa, right? Um, and if you don't get that reference, it's from an old Reese's candy um, commercial. Let's, let's dig in a little bit because I, I'd really like for listeners to be able to, to, to come out of this and say, hey, here are some key skills that I could take away or that I, I could begin to work on that might enhance my, my ability to be effective within my organization, even if I'm not necessarily in a traditional SRE role, right? But the things that I can do to begin to make myself more valuable to my organization, more effective in my, in my current um, role, et cetera, et cetera. So from, from your perspective, I, I have a feeling I, I, I think I know what one of the answers is going to be, but what would you say are sort of the, the key skills that an SRE practitioner really needs? So firstly, more than anything, uh, DevOps or SRE, and I see them as the same thing, one of the key tenets of that is to break down operational silos, to get engineers talking to operations and operations to talk to engineers and make both uh, teams equally responsible for the system that they build and operate. So for SREs, there is a 
requirement to have some understanding of how to code, how systems run, and you know, be able to open a code base and sort of work out what's going on. Equally, for engineers, there is an expectation that they have some operational awareness, that they know what are good uh, infrastructure patterns versus anti-infrastructure patterns. And when you break down the skills for SRE, there's about five that I see. So the first one being coding, Second one being an understanding of systems, which usually is Linux-based. Thirdly, you have uh, architecture, so knowing how to put infrastructure together, how to consider how all those pieces fit together, and how to make it reliable. Fourthly is the operational awareness, so being able to troubleshoot, being able to debug, to know when it is a good idea to take a risk on deploying something. And then finally, SREs are also meant to have a bit of networking knowledge as well. And certainly at some companies, you'll see network reliability engineers. Okay, so we've identified sort of what you see as the five key areas. Um, and I'm going to repeat those back because I was, I was taking some notes while you're, while you're talking because this is really good stuff. And I want to be sure to include that in the, in the show notes so that listeners can sort of capture that and begin to apply that to their own careers and their own skill sets. So we, we have coding, uh, an understanding of systems, typically Linux, but you know I guess that would all, really all depend on on the company and the environment. Um, architecture, how to put infrastructure together, um, operational awareness, and then often um, some some networking knowledge. Now that's um, a fairly broad sort of base of knowledge. Um, out of each of those, how deep do you think that practitioners really need to be? And if you had to pick one or maybe two where they should be the deepest. I'm curious, which one or two would you select? Yes, so uh, that is one of the most challenging parts about the job is being able to have a foot in each of these pillars and to have a deep enough understanding. Depending on which company you're working at, the philosophy might be slightly different. Personally, um, I think architecture um, is very important. Being able to understand these systems is key. And then secondly, uh, coding, I think, is the second most important one. Certainly um, having understandings of systems and having your operational awareness and having your networking background is useful and will help you do your job better, but they're probably not the two core pillars of what the job is. Okay. All right. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, I think from from a perspective of the, a lot of the listeners for, for this particular podcast, just given sort of my background and, and you know what I've done over the years and, and probably why people are listening to the podcast – a lot of people are probably coming from sort of the infrastructure space. And so saying, hey, you have to have you know a, a good knowledge of architecture and how to assemble pieces of infrastructure and how the pieces relate to each other and how they connect and how one affects the other, et cetera, et cetera, is probably something they have a, a fairly good feel for or they have a good base and, and should have no problems you know, really sort of enhancing that um, as, they, as they move forward. But I suspect that a lot of the listeners for this podcast probably don't have a lot of strong coding skills. And I, I would include myself in that, in that um, category. And, and I know that I have explored a couple different times, you know, sort of enhancing my, my, my programming awareness. And I'm wondering just out of curiosity, if there is anything that you would, you know, share with listeners in terms of, hey, if you are coming from an infrastructure background and, and you hear all of these people telling you, you need to be more familiar with software development practices, you need to be uh, you know, understand at least how to open up a code base and see what's happening there or, or try to reason out what's happening there. Are there, you know, any sort of 
things that you would suggest to people like, hey, here's a great way to get started or here's a here's a good way to practice this skill? So I am too one of the people who don't necessarily have a software background. Certainly when I was at university, I didn't do CS. So a lot of the skills that I've learned over the past couple of years have been mostly self-taught. So we'll include these in the show notes, but definitely there's a number of really good uh, Lynda or LinkedIn.com training materials that have introduction to Python, introduction to Go, introduction to Java, which is um, three of the more common languages you'll see in um, SRE infrastructures. Definitely um, going out and just reading blogs. Um, I found a lot of really good material from different automation blogs, from different programming blogs, from even um, networking blogs on how to take code, put it together. That's really gone a long way. Um, And then just building things yourself. Uh, I really believe that going and building something is the best way to go and learn it. So definitely I've had a number of side projects over the year that I've tinkered on and sort of helped continue to build my skill set. Okay. Those are some good resources and, and definitely, uh, you know, listeners will be sure to include links to some of those resources in the show notes. So, you know, don't, don't freak out about, oh no, I didn't capture that. What was it he said? Don't worry. We'll have those on the, uh, on the uh, blog post when we, when we go live uh, with the episode. Um, so you can capture those. So somewhat selfishly, because uh, I, I set a goal for myself to sort of increase my own uh, knowledge and skill in in Go. I wonder, um, you know, anything in particular there that you found uh, really useful, or is that an area that you haven't uh, touched much yet? I haven't touched um, Go a whole lot, but there is a really good uh, online tutorial on the GoLang bl- uh, site, I believe it is, which sort of walks through the basics, lets you to go and uh, lets you do simple tutorials in uh, like a browser shell. And it gives you a firm grasp of just the basics of the language. I will definitely give that a look then. And again, sorry, listeners, being a little selfish there. And I, well, I've got Michael on the uh, on the uh, line here. I thought I would, you know, dig into his brain a little bit and see if I could find some resources for myself. So you mentioned something earlier that I was kind of curious about because I see, in some aspects, uh, a, a bit of a divide here. Uh, you mentioned that you kind of see SRE and DevOps as kind of the same thing. But I've heard different from other folks, and I was just wondering, like, you know, I know from a from a culture perspective, right, which is really what, in my mind, and I don't know if you agree or disagree, what culture is kind of the real thing that we're, we're driving here is, and then that is getting, you know, infrastructure and operations and development all talking and working together as a single team rather than, you know, not. But um, there does seem to be a little bit of a divide, like, you know, SRE is sort of the new thing and DevOps is the old legacy thing. And I was, I wonder if you've picked that up or... Or if you, I would say you disagree, but I was just wondering if you wanted to share your thoughts for a minute on that. So I theoretically believe that um, they're more or less the same thing. I think um, Ben Trainosloss came up with the SRE term before the DevOps term was coined. But as you said, um, they're all about getting everyone talking to each other, getting processes in place and creating a better experience for the end user. So they're the same to me. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. So uh, let's let's dig in a little bit to um, so going back to the, your, your list of five. We identified sort of the top two being, you know, an, an understanding and a knowledge of, of architecture, how to put infrastructure together. And then the second one being coding. And we've talked a little bit about, you know, for listeners who don't come from a software development background, how they might be able to begin to shore up those skills. 
Um, you know, some of the other things we hear a lot about, I mentioned it earlier in the, uh, in the podcast, and that is the idea of infrastructure as code, which is applying, um, you know, per uh, Keith Morris's definition from the, uh, the O'Reilly book, you know, applying software development practices to the, the process of automating infrastructure. Do you see that as, um, you know, something that uh, a lot of, based on your experience, obviously, um, that you see that a lot in, in sort of the idea of SRE or, or maybe not so much? No, I definitely do. One thing I think that has really evolved actually over the last 10 years or so is we're now starting to move away from um, like small automation scripts. One of the sort of things that's often said about SRE is you're meant to automate your job away. Um, And that, you know, that might be just writing, you know, one script or a small tool. But I think we're getting to the point now where we're starting to build, uh, you know, larger automation platforms. So as removing the silos of scripts and putting everything into um, one platform um, or one engine. And if you go and look at uh, companies like ourselves at LinkedIn, we've actually got an automation platform called Nurse. Uh, Facebook have one called FBAR, and there are other um, commercially available products like Stackstorm, which sort of drive us to the left uh, there, where we're able um, to take those sort of menial tasks or toil tasks um, away from the engineer and let the machine do them for us. Okay. Um, so for, for listeners who um, maybe aren't, uh, you know, aren't working in a hyperscale and therefore don't have their own sort of, you know, custom platform, right? I was wondering, based on your, your experience and your, you know, your role, um, are there any sort of commercial platforms? I know you mentioned Stackstorm. I wonder if there were any other sort of platforms that, or tools, products, whatever term you want to use, that maybe capture some of what you guys are seeing and doing and therefore might be a direction for listeners to be able to do, you know, like, hey, there's this product that I've seen or read about. And it, from what I understand, it does a lot of what we have built in our custom platform. So, you know, if you want to, if you want to enhance your skills, go take a look at this and get an understanding of it. Is there anything along those lines that you can think of? Off the top of my head, uh, there's nothing comes to mind, but I'll definitely research it and we'll throw anything I find in the show notes. Equally, if you go and look at products like Kubernetes, which is open source, that automates a large piece of the infrastructure toil, building, uh, maintaining images or applications, scaling them. But there is still somewhat of a gap for the day-to-day tasks uh, to be automated, which I think you'll see in the next couple of years that uh, space being filled by a number of commercial providers. So that's uh, that's that's interesting. And I, I wasn't going to bring up Kubernetes because initially I, I didn't really sort of see a connection, but it sounds like maybe you do see the evolution of those types of platforms, you know, maybe like, like Docker and Kubernetes and others as having a role in at least automating some of the, the aspects of getting applications deployed or turning up the infrastructure to deploy an application, although they don't necessarily address sort of the day two operations perspective that I think, as I understand, is a key part of, of what you guys do as, as a site reliability engineer. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, definitely, um, while SRE spend time on infrastructure, there are still you know day to day tasks that um, need to be restarted. Equally, um, automation platforms also can help with um, you know preventing outages, making sure that we have all of our containers running, all of our applications running, or helping us um, go and debug an application when it's under duress. The workflow engine 
that we have allows us to go and do all those menial uh, triaging tasks very quickly so that by the time if I get paged and I'm online, I have all that data available to me. All right. That makes sense. That, that's good. So, you know, we talked about sort of understanding of, of our architecture, how to put infrastructure together, infrastructure as code, coding. You know, from from an operational awareness um, perspective, you mentioned, you know, like maybe that's not one of the top two, but it would be helpful. Are there particular aspects or maybe open source projects that you think are um, particularly applicable here that maybe listeners should should have a look at and say, hey, this sort of captures some of what we're talking about. And so therefore, if you understand the concepts of what this does or whatever or how you would automate this, that might be an important skill to have. So I think um, a lot of operational awareness comes from experience. So definitely uh, when I started at LinkedIn, I was straight out of college. I didn't, I had some operational awareness because I'd worked in, uh, at my university for a couple of years, I'd worked on a few incidents and I had a little bit of knowledge, but um, really going out and sort of seeing what other people are doing in other teams, sort of jumping in their Slack chat channels during incidents and seeing, you know, how an issue is being triaged, what decisions are being made about um, failover or disaster recovery strategy. That's a really good way to get some uh, hands-on experience. Equally, if you don't have the ability to go and do that, uh, there are some good resources online. Um, If you go and look at the SRE weekly newsletter, they often um, post a list of outages for the week and that sometimes includes postmortems. In the past year or so, uh, GitLab has actually been um, somewhat of an industry leader in uh, writing up their postmortem documents and sharing them with everyone after each outage. Um, They're sort of famously actually known for doing, I think it was a YouTube live stream of, of one of their larger outages and really showing how they responded to that. You'll also see in the uh, Google SRE book um, a number of really good resources about uh, incident management and also how to handle postmortems, which uh, postmortems are equally as important as the outage themselves. Learning from them is very important on how to prevent those um, outages from happening again, how to prevent similar incidents from happening in the future. And um, going back to some of the key tenants of SRE, Having, you know, blameless postmortems, making sure we get to the root cause, not scapegoating anyone is very important to the success of the site reliability engineer. I think that's a really good point that, that perhaps, you know, we, we haven't really drilled in on yet. And that is that, you know, if you look at the term and at least this is my interpretation, so feel free to tell me if I'm, you know, reading this wrong. If you look at the term site reliability engineering, you know, what you're really doing is you are not just working to resolve outages, but working to engineer or automate those outages um, away, right? I mean, like, so the idea of saying every time something happens, learning from that and then going and addressing whatever it was that caused that uh, through a joint effort with development, whether it means changes in the code or changes in the monitoring um, or, you know, changes in how it's, uh, you know, running on infrastructure, changes on the infrastructure underneath it, whatever those might be, and then incorporating that back into the cycle so that, you are essentially, you know, continually getting better. I mean, it, it, would that not be sort of like a, a big part of it? It definitely is. It is really important um, to just go and get that data. One of the things we've done over uh, the last couple of years at LinkedIn is we take all of our incident data 
and we go and analyze it. So we're looking at, you know, time to detect, time to remediate, um, how long it takes to go and find the root cause, and then um, pr doing our postmortem, making sure that we have uh, have a good understanding of what caused the outage, and then how we can go and fix it again. And you know that will be include going and making action items for various engineers, and then holding them accountable to executives to make sure that we are preventing those issues from happening again. Yeah, I think it's it's really important. I mean, a lot of people talk about using automation and you know automating tasks and automating infrastructure and automating operations, but I I think sort of the missing piece in a lot of those cases is that feedback loop of, you know, you're automating things, but then when something happens, you aren't necessarily closing the loop and taking the learnings from what happened and then putting it back into, you know, your automation process or your support process or your infrastructure process, you know, whatever that is. Right. So I think that's a, a really important part. And I think if, I don't know, from my opinion, if I had to distinguish sort of SRE from any of the other practices, if you will, that you see in companies these days, that's probably the one that sticks out to me the most as being different. And that is that that feedback loop of saying, we're not just going to fix the problem and, and fix it as efficiently as possible and then have these blameless postmortems and, and root cause analysis, but then take that information and make sure that it gets fed back into the whole process so that the next iteration is better than the previous iteration. Yes, I, I, that's sums it up really well. I think what we'll continue to see in the SRE space is the continual involvement of measure everything. So taking all that data we get from whether it's, you know, the operational data of the service to how the incident was run and sort of making use of that and seeing what we can learn from that. And uh, one of the things my team is actually doing at LinkedIn uh, is an initiative called Visibility Engineering, where we're taking all of this um, incident and postmortem data, um, sort of sifting through it and then finding the trends that we see in that data and then taking that to our executives um, every quarter and saying, hey, this uh, initiative might help with this issue. And that's hope hopefully will help us continue to close the time that we spend on time to detect and then time to fix in our incidents, no matter how big or small. Oh uh, yeah, that that sounds uh, that sounds really cool. I mean, it, it sounds like you know it may not be necessarily applicable for for every organization, right? I mean, because obviously what you guys are doing is you know on a larger scale than I think a lot of a lot of listeners are probably dealing with, right? But nevertheless, sort of that measuring all that information and then gathering it back and trying to identify trends and trying to identify what contributes to those trends or what might alter those trends certainly seems like something that would be useful um, in any reasonably sized organization where uh, you know, they do have a, a, um, a culture of continuous improvement. So before we uh, transition out, I do have sort of one, one last question around sort of the key skills needed. And that is um, to, to talk just a bit about you know, how, how a site reliability engineer sort of compares to my idea of, an, of a full stack engineer. And, and hopefully I've, I've explained that reasonably well, but let me go through it again. And, and that is, you know, I, I just kind of see that Right now, we, we have these, these highly segmented silos, at least in corporate IT. We have these highly segmented silos. You know, he's a networking uh, gal. She's a server um, um, you know, admin. She's a network um, you know, engineer, whatever the case may be. And it just feels like all the forces that are out there in the industry, what, what customers want, what organizations want, the way software development trends and open source and public cloud and all these things are all contributing is kind of 
pushing these silos together and mashing them all together, right? And it, so um, I kind of co-opted the term full stack engineer to kind of describe how people are being forced to to pick up some software development skills and pick up some networking and some storage and you know understanding on-premises infrastructure and 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 you know public cloud and all of this, right? Um, I'm just curious, you know, if if you were to compare sort of that definition of a full stack engineer to kind of what we've been discussing with a site reliability engineer, what would you see as sort of the the key differences or the key similarities? So in terms of your definition of full stack engineer, I think in terms of the mission and the role, uh, they basically align one for one. Uh, For SREs, obviously, a lot of the mindset in terms of technical specialties are more from an operations perspective than a software engineering perspective. So that's where your difference is. But in terms of um, the role itself, they are more or less the same. I'm actually really glad to hear that because, you know, the more that we've been talking and you're describing that, I'm like, you know, this really sort of really captures the essence of what I've been, what I've been trying to describe. Um, so that's good. Uh, I'm glad that I'm not crazy. Uh, <laughs> um, all right. So let's transition a little bit. Uh, again, one of the purposes of the podcast is to really try to give listeners sort of, you know, very concrete things that they can take away and say, this is something that I can apply to my own career, right? So I'm wondering, you know, whether these are resources that you have used yourself over the years or whether they are things that other folks have, um, you know, said, hey, I found this useful or whether just from your understanding of what they are and your knowledge of, of site reliability engineering through your personal experience, I wonder are there any resources that you would recommend for folks who want to become more familiar with sort of practices and processes and tools and mindset? Now, I know, you know, you've mentioned it. Um, I know that, that O'Reilly has the uh, site reliability engineering book that came out of Google, which is probably, you know, a canonical resource to, to refer to. Um, and we'll include a link to that in the show notes, but are there any other resources maybe that you would recommend for, helping listeners sort of wrap their head around what this means and what it is? So, uh, as I said earlier, I was mostly self-taught when it comes to this role. That's how I got here. The best resource that I found uh, while I was studying during college and doing job interviews uh, for this role was the High Scalability blog, which is a really great resource to see um, how other companies have built their infrastructure, um, you know, lessons learned, and they also have a really good summary of, you know, different posts that have happened in the uh, reliability or scalability space every week. The second resource is um, engineering blogs. So you'll find um, most tech, uh, larger tech companies and even uh, startups now all have their own technical engineering blogs where they outline what they've been working on um, and some of the cool software that they've been developing. And certainly if you go and look at like the LinkedIn engineering blog, you can see some of my work there from the past couple of years. The third one is, you know, just get some compute, uh, you know, VMs or VPSs. Uh, when I was studying for this, you know, a number of years ago, um, you know, public cloud wasn't really available. And um, I had a secondhand computer that my father bought me. And I sort of just spun up a set of, um, you know, VMs and sort of just tinkered with things. And um, I built a, you know, ridiculously complicated setup um, in, you know, my home network just to understand, you know, how does DNS work? How does DHCP work? 
Um, how do I go and run backups? How do I do pixie booting? And, you know, totally unnecessary for my home network, but it gave me really good understanding of how to build this infrastructure. What are the things that you're going to encounter that, you know, aren't necessarily in the manual and um, really gave me a good footing in understanding how, you know, different pieces of uh, software or infrastructure work. Definitely um, another uh, source of really good um, education is meetups. Thankfully, living out here in the Bay Area, um, we've got a number of meetups that um, are very helpful to sort of learning, um, you know, about what's new in the SRE space or what are the cool things that people are working on or, you know, just even less pe uh, lessons learned from different people and companies. So that's been another really great resource for myself. I've also actually put together a GitHub page recently called Awesome SRE Cheat Sheets, where I've tried to find all the best uh, sort of one or two pager guides on different topics and put them into one place. Uh, so, you know, if you are sort of stuck on a topic, um, you can quickly sort of come to a master list of resources that may be useful to you. And then finally, um, if you are in university, um, see if you can try and get a role in your IT department. Um, just to sort of understand, you know, how the IT business works. Um, you know, most uh, comp uh, most universities have a, you know, reasonably sized IT infrastructure. And, you know, any practical experience in those environments will definitely help you um, when it comes to interviewing for roles. All right. That's, a, that's a, a very, very useful list of resources. Thank you, Michael. That's great. I am particularly, as soon as I get the list from you, going to go and check out the awesome SRE cheat sheets on GitHub. <laughs> um, so, so that's that's awesome. Uh, and again, listeners, you know, we'll have we'll have links to all the stuff in the show notes. So, uh, don't worry. You know, we we got you covered, right? All right. So, I think we've done a pretty good job thus far of sort of unpacking what site reliability engineering is, describing some of the key skills that are required and how it might compare to um, other similar roles and terms. Um, we've talked about some resources that um, would help listeners become more familiar with some of the concepts and practices and um, tools that would be involved. So I think we've we've uh, given listeners some very uh, meaty material that they should be able to dig into and see how that applies to their own careers and their own uh, roles and their jobs. As we get ready to, to wrap up, uh, Michael, I was wondering, you know, any sort of closing thoughts that you'd be interested in sharing with the listeners, um, any sort of, you know, forward looking things, obviously, you know, we don't want anything confidential on here, but I mean, just some sort of trends that you would be seeing like, Hey, I see this thing sort of getting a lot of attention and therefore it might be something that would be useful to pay attention. Um, you know, anything like that that you want to share for listeners before we wrap up? So there are a number of trends, uh, I think that we'll continue to see evolve and, um, after the time this podcast is actually published, I will have spoken about it at Interrupt ITX. But um, just quickly, a couple of those, uh, I think we'll see a large lean to the left for network uh, engineering to um, start taking um, traditional network practices and applying uh, some of the SRE principles to them. So uh, we'll see more automation, we'll see better monitoring, and we'll also see better testing as well. Secondly, I think we'll continue to see the uh, evolution of automation. Certainly, I th think there's still a large way to go on, um, you know, making our platforms more hands-off and, um, you know, really making uh, automation ubiquitous. 
we sort of uh, alluded to it a little bit earlier, um, but learning from your mistakes, uh, I think, also is another place where we uh, will continue to move. Certainly in the past six months, we've seen the rise of resilience engineering or chaos engineering. And um, you'll see companies like um, ourselves or Netflix or Gremlin, who's the commercial provider in the space, sort of build tools where you can go and test your infrastructure for failure in a controlled environment um, and sort of let you find the bugs before the users find them for you. And then um, finally, um, we'll also see, uh, I think cl cloud will still um, become more ubiquitous, uh, whether it's private or public cloud. Um, there's so many benefits in terms of just uh, reducing, uh, you know, operations workloads by getting orchestration platforms to go and do the hard work for you. So we'll continue to see a, a move there. And the cost of setting that up is becoming less and less every day, um, you know, on all the cloud platforms now. Perfect. I've got two final thoughts. SRE should always be working with you. We are really meant to be breaking down those operational silos, as we said earlier. So it is our job to be making sure that uh, SREs work with you and that we can make everything work together. And secondly, um, being a great SRE is just as much about technical skills as it is with working with people and empowering others. It's you know great to be the smartest engineer in the room, but if you can't go and work with others, you can't empower people, you can't help people uh, work through road bumps, um, your value as an engineer is not as great as what it could be. So uh, that's one thing I really would encourage the listeners is to be cognizant of how you work with others, because that is what truly defines a great engineer, in my opinion. I, I can't tell you how glad I am to hear that last one emphasized, Michael, because I mean, like, I... Um you know, it's, it's, it's great to be, as you said, you know, sort of the best engineer, the smartest person in the room. But, you know, ultimately what we really need to be doing is focusing on advancing those who are around us and advancing our company and our team uh, and not just, you know, being out there to kind of toot our own horn or, or build our own uh, CV. Um, so thank you for bringing that up. And I think that is an important cultural aspect to, to keep in mind. Um, so I have thoroughly enjoyed the conversation, Michael. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to uh, hop on here and uh, chat with me and uh, the listeners and, and sort of give us a feel for what SRE is all about and, and how we might dig into it a little bit more. So uh, as we wrap up, uh, if you want to just share once again sort of your, your online contact information so that they can uh, listeners can follow you or contact you or, or whatever that might be, that would be great. All right. Thank you, Scott, so much for your time. So you can find um, my website at michael-keo.io. You can find me on LinkedIn at Michael K. Keo or Twitter at Matrix Tech, M-A-T-R-I-X-T-E-K. Perfect. Thanks, Michael. And uh, listeners, thank you for joining us once again for the Full Stack Journey podcast, uh, where we're talking about the ongoing evolution of the IT professional and the journey of learning that stretches across the full stack of technologies in today's modern data center. I am your host, Scott Lowe. You can find me online at blog.scottlowe.org or on Twitter as uh, at Scott underscore Lowe. You can also um, reach the podcast directly on Twitter at FSJ Podcast. And episodes are always published uh, via the Packet Pushers website at packetpushers.net. If you are an organization or a vendor who has an interest in sponsoring the show, we do have sponsorship uh, slots available. So feel free to contact us and we'll be happy to give you more information. 
And uh, again, thanks for listening. We hope that you have found the podcast to be useful. We look forward to your feedback. Have a great day.